So we are excited to have you guys here. We're going to continue in on our series of Faith at Work. Uh, If you guys have been with us the last few weeks, we've looked at the great design of work. We've looked at the great dignity attached to work. But this morning is going to be like the deflating of a balloon as we look at the difficulty of work. So how many of you guys have seen the TV show Dirty Jobs? Anyone? All right. There are some jobs, a lot of which you guys just saw in that video, that it doesn't matter how much they would pay me, there is no way in the world I would do that job, all right? There are certain jobs that really highlight the great difficulty that comes with work. The last few weeks, we've been trying to help you reimagine and begin to rethink what work is as God designed it and as God granted dignity to it. And so we've really been trying to help elevate and exalt your view of work. What we're going to do this morning is going to be like a giant slap in the face, okay? Uh, Or like the deflating of a balloon, which is why we're going to try to end our morning in worship to try to end on an upswing. But what we want to look at this morning is the difficulty of work. Work that has fallen under the curse of sin, work that is after Genesis 3, is kind of where we're going to go this morning to look at the difficulty of work as we experience it today. So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis 3, that's where we're going to begin our morning. It's where we can kind of start out looking at this great difficulty of work and wrestling through how has sin impacted this entire discussion of work as we've been going this semester. How has sin impacted work? Genesis 3, beginning in verse 17, is going to highlight for us uh, the curse of work, uh, that work has fallen under a curse. Genesis 3, uh, beginning in verse 17, we find this. Genesis 3, beginning in verse 17, the text tells us this, that cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. Genesis 3. Really, the last four weeks, we've spent a lot of time looking at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We've been trying to set a foundation for you guys to understand the design that God has for work and the dignity that he's endowed to human work. But what we're going to see this morning as we look at Genesis 3 is that our experience of work, though, if we're completely honest, whether it's in a classroom or whether it's in a workplace, doesn't always square with our experience of what we're finding from what we've been looking at the last few weeks because work is really difficult. There are certain jobs, again, that it doesn't matter how much you would get paid, there's no way you're going to do it. There are certain jobs that highlight the great difficulty of work. Well, why is that? Genesis 3 will tell us, really, Genesis 3 is critical for this discussion. I want you guys to notice again, what does the text tell us about what's happened to work? Genesis 3 comes after sin has entered the picture, and the curse comes to Adam and Eve. And in part of that curse, I want you guys to read here in Genesis 3, verse 17, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Why is it so significant that the ground was cursed as a part of the curse? We know that the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God was broken. We also know that the relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other was broken. But Genesis 3.17 will tell us that the relationship that Adam and Eve had, not just with the ground, but with the created order, is broken as well. That something is now hostile, something is now disoriented with the way that Adam and Eve are going to relate to the physical creation. Why is that so significant? If you guys remember, as we've been talking about work, really what we said that work was, was it was a taking of the created physical order and a reestablishing of it, a working with it, an arranging of it so that it produces and is developed into something that is new, something that was unseen before. But now that the created order has fallen under the curse of sin as well, now that relationship as Adam and Eve come to the physical creation to work with it is going to be made difficult. In fact, that's exactly what Genesis 3 is telling us. It says, in toil, you will eat of the ground all the days of your life. (laughs) 
that now their relationship with the created order, their relationship in the workplace and work itself is going to be toilsome. Literally, the Hebrew word there could be translated sorrow. It will be in sorrow that they eat from the ground. It's going to be difficult. As much as we've been reimagining and re-exalting work, Genesis 3 is going to be, in a sense, like graffiti on this great work of art that is work. All right, Genesis 3, as it falls under sin, is going to show us it's going to be made difficult. Both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you. The ground that was supposed to create fruit and vegetation and flowers is now going to produce thorns and thistles so that as they work the earth, it's now going to cut them. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be what they would have imagined. It's not going to be what God originally designed. And that will occur uh, by the sweat of your face and you're going to eat bread till till you return to the ground. This is going to be the fundamental experience of work from this point moving forward for all of us until we return to the ground. Last four weeks, we've been building up your view of work. Hopefully, it's been like blowing up a balloon. This morning is a great deflation of that balloon. (laughs) Uh, This is what we experience. This is the difficulty of work. This is what is our normal experience of work, which is why school is so hard for us at times, and which is why when we think of that day that we graduate, we make some money, that we think of the real world. For some of you guys, it's like a balloon deflating as well, because work is hard. Work is hard whether you're in a classroom or boardroom. Work is hard in whatever workplace that you're a part of because it's fallen under the curse of sin as well. In fact, Keller will summarize it this way in a great quote, I think, which is helpful. He says this, Work is is not itself a curse, but it now lies with all other aspects of human life under the curse of sin. Every aspect of our lives, physical, uh, spiritual, material, immaterial, every function of our lives has now fallen under the curse of sin. It's difficult. It's not like God originally intended it, that it has fallen under the curse of sin, and therefore there are consequences of that curse that has made work so difficult. And as you think about work being made difficult, I feel like there's a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies that have centered in on this idea, and probably none more so than the TV show The Office. with Dunder Mifflin, paper company, a boss like Michael Scott, work in that workplace is not at all like it was originally intended. It's ineffective. It's completely ridiculous. There are pranks all the time. There are authorities and bosses that are absolutely off the chain ridiculous, okay? There's a reason why so many people connected with that TV show and TV shows like it or movies like it because so many of these kinds of shows ring true to the difficulty that we find in the workplace. Tom Nelson in his book, Work Matters, says this about the TV show, The Office. The Office says to us that we were created to work and yet unresolved tensions fill the air of every episode and we are left to ponder that work now is not what it really ought to be. Daily, we are confronted by the sobering reality that our work, the workers we work with, and the workplaces in which we work are not as God originally designed them. Something is off. In a myriad of ways, we are painfully reminded each and every day that we live and we work in a fallen and corrupted world. And like many other things in life, work in this less than perfect world is a mixed bag. I love the way that Tom Nelson ends that quote because what he's going to say is, yes, work has fallen under the curse of sin, and so now work is a mixed bag. It doesn't mean that work is inherently now evil. It just means that it's going to be a mixed bag, that there are still some good things, and there are now going to be some difficult things as well. We're going to talk about this later this morning as we continue on, but we're going to have to wrestle with this tension of not throwing work completely away, but also not making it everything in our lives as if it's an idol that will fix all of our challenges. But work is made difficult. And therefore, because of that, really, as we look at the consequences of the curse, really the first thing that we're going to see is that work can now be fruitless. 
that you have a vision that we've been talking about the last few weeks of what is it that you were made to make? What is it that you want your life to be devoted to that you want to see changed in our world? Maybe you have a vision. Maybe you're still wrestling with that. There's something that you want to produce. There's something that you want to make a difference in. The reality is going to be vocation and your degree and your workplace and your career. Won't it all produce exactly what you want it to produce? Genesis 3, we'll talk about thorns and thistles coming from the ground, that what you wanted to see come doesn't always come. And sometimes what does come takes a lot longer to come than you first thought it would. It's fruitless at times. It's frustrating at times. It doesn't produce what you think what you want it to produce. Something has been made difficult with it. I love Ecclesiastes. If you guys were been in big churches, they've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes hits this idea really well. When the writer tells us this, what does man get in all his labor? What do you and I gain from work? What is it we can see come forth from our work and, and our striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days, his task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is vanity. What does man get from his work? Pain and grief and sorrow. <laughs> That's a comforting Hallmark moment, right? This is the reality of what work is like under the curse of sin, though. It's made difficult. It's grievous. It's painful at times. One of the phrases in Ecclesiastes, though, that I want to highlight for you guys is that phrase, under the sun. What does man get in all his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? That phrase is is a worldview phrase that says, if we take faith and we take work and we disconnect them, and we look at our careers as if God doesn't exist and as if this created world is all there is, then what work will provide us, therefore under the sun, is pain and grief. If there is no God, and there is nothing beyond this stage of life, then all work will give you is pain and grief and difficulty. Surely there is something not just under the sun, something beyond the sun. We'll talk about that here as we keep going. But work is now made fruitless. I remember when Marcy and I got married, one of the things that we waited for, one of the things that we were looking forward to after we got married was our wedding album that had all the pictures from our wedding in it. I can't tell you how long that thing took to come, right? It was months and months of waiting, all right? And it finally arrived, and clearly Marcy's probably a little more excited than I was, all right? But it finally arrived, this great work of creativity, and the first night that we had it, we took it out to go show some friends, and we lived on the second floor of an apartment complex, and at the top of that flight of stairs, I shifted the wedding album into a different hand, and in shifting it to grab hold of something, it (laughs) flies out of my hands, and like a slow-motion horror film, all right? It just goes airborne, all right? And I'm fumbling to try to reach it, and I can't grab it, and then it begins to just fall. And it hits the next stairwell, a few steps down, it hits, it bounces back up, begins to rotate, it hits again on the stairwell, begins to rotate, and then lands flat on the ground, spread eagle style, all right? The look on Marcy's face was not one of joy and happiness, all right? The sickness in my stomach, and it began to just churn, realizing now this wedding album that we'd been looking forward to for so long has its binding completely shattered, its pictures are bent, it is now nothing like what we imagined it could be. It took forever to show up, and then even once we showed it, it was quickly destroyed and quickly uh, not what we hoped it was going to be. Because when we think about work, the reality of our work is that it can be fruitless at times. It doesn't produce what we want it to produce. It's interesting as we think about work, uh, Tim Keller, again in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says this. I think it's a great quote about work. Notice what he says about our expectations about work. That if work is truly fruitless, if it doesn't always produce what we want it to produce, or in the time that we want it to produce it, or even once it produces something, it doesn't last or it's quickly ruined, then how do we view work? What kind of expectations should we have about work? His quote here is really interesting. As he looks at a series of generations, look at what he says. 
As products of the Depression and two world wars, my parents and grandparents' generations were grateful to have work of any kind because it helped them and their family survive. But members of my children's generation, which is your generation, are utterly dissimilar. They insist that work be fulfilling and fruitful, that it fully fit their talents and their dreams, and that it do something amazing for the world as one Google executive described his company's mission. While the circumstances shaping my parents' generation perhaps gave them a lower view of work than one found in the Bible's description of creation, so my children's generation, your generation, has a more naive and utopian view of work than is suggested by the Bible in its description of the world's fall into sin. I love that quote. I love the way it's looking at the view of work from one generation to the next. That for those in the Depression and those that saw World Wars, work was just a way to make a living. They didn't live to work, they just worked to live, and what they really looked forward to was the weekend and the time at home with their family. But in your generation, as we begin to reimagine and re-exalt work for you guys, a lot of you guys have really been grasping on that idea. The idea being that God has designed work, that it's got dignity to it, that it's meant to fit you. And so we talked last week about how the world's needs and your unique design is supposed to collide into a place that's your great vocational fit. It's a sense of where God has led you and directed you into a work and into a career and into a trajectory. So many of you guys really grasp that. Some of you guys grabbed those worksheets we gave out and we're running after that going, what is my unique fit? Because you have an expectation and I think in some ways rightfully so, but you have to measure it, that you can make a difference. The number of books in the last 20 years that have been written about changing the world have magnificently, exponentially increased because your generation truly believes that your life can make a difference, and that's fantastic. That's why you guys are so socially activism-minded and responsive, all right? And it's true. But for your generation, the reality is that where you can fall air or where you can air is moving too greatly to an extreme and to a place that you become quickly disillusioned by the fact that maybe things are not going as you wanted them to. Because the reality is work can be fruitless, which is why for you and I, I think as we think about work, the challenge is this, that you guys have to manage your expectations to avoid extremes. That if one generation thought, I will work just to make a living, and another generation thinks, I will live in my work, that work is everything, we fluctuate between these extremes in which we view work as nothing and we have despair, or we view work as everything and then we become disillusioned because it doesn't provide, it doesn't do what we think it can do. And so we move like a pendulum between two extremes, one of despair and one of disillusionment. And as we think about work as it's fallen under the curse of sin, we have to manage our expectations on one hand being sober and another hand being faithful. Managing our expectations so that we don't swing between those extremes like a pendulum moving back and forth with the slightest blowing of a breeze. We remain faithful with uh, two feet, realizing that we can make a difference now, but we're also looking for a day that's going to come, which is why Ecclesiastes will talk about being under the sun, but what we're looking for is a day that's attached to something beyond just what we can see now. And so for many of us, that we have to realize that work can be fruitless, but also work may not be fulfilling. That even when our work produces what we want it to, it may still not fulfill us like we imagined it could. That even when we have this vision, this idea of what can be, and we put our lives and our efforts and our gifts towards it, and it doesn't produce what we want it to, or it does produce what we want it to, even when it does produce what we want it to, we find that there's something still lacking in us. We're still struggling with some sense of fulfillment because we finally produced what we wanted to. Maybe it took longer than we thought. Maybe it was more difficult than we thought. But even once we finally produced it, we realize, man, something is still broken. Something's still missing in me. 
Remember Genesis 3 talked about, in toil we will work the land. Literally sorrow. That even in work, there's something that's still broken and missing that's not fully satisfying for us. Ecclesiastes says it this way, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Notice the depression. Notice what he says. I hated life. Why? For the work which had been done, again, under the sun, was grievous to me. Because everything is futility in the striving after wind. And thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Writer of Ecclesiastes looks at his labor, looks at his work, and he says, I strived and I labored, but yet I'm grievous and I hate the fruit of my labor. That even when his work produced what he wanted it to produce, even at that point he looks at it and he goes, I'm not satisfied. I hate this. This feels meaningless and worthless to me. Why? Because for that writer, as he looked at his work, he could only see his work under the sun. He could only see his work as that which was true, as if God didn't exist, or as if this was all that there was. And when you and I view our work and our career as if God doesn't exist, or if this is all there is, we always come up feeling unfulfilled. Killer puts it this way. Work is no longer, when you and I view life as if God doesn't exist, this is what happens. Work is no longer a way to create and bring the wonders of the creator order, as Calvin would say, or to be an instrument serving the basic needs of our neighbor, as Luther would say, which incidentally, to create out of the natural order or to bless the community and the neighbors around you is what I'm going to call working beyond the sun, okay? As if God exists and as if God has a purpose for our work when we bless everyone else and we're looking beyond the sun. But there's what happens. Instead, when we look at life only under the sun, then work becomes a way to distinguish myself from my neighbor, to show the world and prove to myself that I'm special. It's a way to accumulate power and security and to exercise control over my destiny. That if you don't believe that God exists or if you believe this physical earth is all there will be in terms of future history, then this is how you're going to treat work. It's going to be the key element for you to determine your worth and the key means and ways for you to establish security and identity in life when life seems so uncertain at times, that if you don't believe God exists or if you believe this is all that there is, then this will be your perspective of work. But here's the problem. It still ends up unfulfilling. (laughs) It still ends up unfulfilling and empty for us, and we still feel broken because it doesn't come through. It doesn't provide us what we most need. We talked about this a little bit last week, that ultimately the gospel, that God unconditionally loves us, by sending his only son who died on a cross for us so that we could enter into a relationship with him. That truth, that declaration of his love towards us and therefore our worth and our significance answers the question that hounds our insecurity in a way that nothing else can, nothing else will. If work is going to be the measuring stick with which you determine your worth or your significance or how you control life, hold on because it's going to be a roller coaster and it will not fulfill. It will not fulfill. Which is why for every single one of us, the second challenge I'd have for you guys is this, uh, that work may not be filling, so therefore look for fulfillment beyond the sun. It's not that there's no fulfillment in your work, but the only fulfillment that you're going to find that's lasting in your work is if it's attached to Jesus Christ himself. That if Jesus Christ is allowed to speak into and lead your career and your degree and your vocation, then and only then is your work attached to your faith and therefore attached to something that is beyond the sun. That's not just under the sun. That doesn't just go when this earth goes. 
but something that's eternal and something that's significantly attached to one whose ultimate power and authority and glory will be seen not just in this age, but in the age to come. When our work is attached to him, then we can find some element of fulfillment in it. But even in this time, even if it's attached to him, our fulfillment is still going to be not ultimately all that we're looking for. We're still struggling with expectations a little bit. And lastly, this idea. It's not just that work won't be fulfilling, but work can be selfish. That when we view life under the sun, when work is everything we think it can be, then we make it everything for us to determine our worth, and therefore work becomes a tool all about us. It becomes a tool all about us. You can't see this any more clearly than in the story in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel. Some of you guys may know the story that after the flood, then the people who God had called to spread out, be fruitful, to multiply, and fill the earth for his name's sake, what do they do instead? They gather in one place, they use their vocations, their skills, and their talents, and they build a tower. Notice the text, Genesis 11. Uh, The people gather and they say, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. So they use their skills, their crafts, their technology to build a tower. But why do they build a tower? They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Why were they so selfish in use of their skills and their crafts? What were they worried about? Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. God desired that they be scattered abroad the face of the earth, that they be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But their issue is not the scattering. Their issue is their sense and their fear of insignificance. And because they are so desperately fearing insignificance, they gather in one place to be significant, to make a name for themselves, to use their skills and crafts specifically for themselves, and they make a tower. And in verse 6, God will say, uh, speaking of the Trinity, he'll say, come, let us go down to see the tower. which is a sarcastic slap across their face to say they thought they had reached the heavens and God sarcastically says, we have to go down just to see it because it's that insignificant. It's not that great. And so he goes down and then he confuses their language and then he literally scatters them so that they can fulfill his purposes for them. But for so many of us, as we think about our skills and our talents and our experiences that we steward, we steward them for ourselves. We steward them for our own benefit. We said this a little bit last week, we're going to say it again, that your career, your degree is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about what it can do for you. That you've been gifted and God has entrusted you with abilities and gifts and education and experiences so that you can be a blessing to the city and the community that you're going to be part of one day. But I want to take it one step further as we end this morning, that your gifts and your skills and your abilities are not just for the benefit of the city and the community that you're going to be a part of one day. And not just for your family that you're going to have one day, but for the professions that you're going to have themselves one day. Notice this last Keller quote. I love this quote. He says this, The moment you only think of serving other people, which is a good thing, that you want your gifts, you want your work, you want your vocation to be a blessing to the city and the community you're part of. But look what he says. If that's all you're thinking about, you begin to have a notion that other people owe you something for your pains. You begin to think that you have a claim on the community. You begin to bargain for reward, to angle for applause, and to harbor a grievance if you are not appreciated. But if your mind is set upon serving the work, then you know you have nothing to look for. The only reward the work can give you is the satisfaction of beholding its perfection. The work takes all and gives nothing but itself, and to serve the work is a labor of pure love. It is the work that serves the community, and the business of the worker is to serve the work. Why is that significant? That as you think about the purpose 
behind your vocations and your degree and your opportunity to be in those places one day. It's not just about the community that could be blessed by that work, but it's about your impact on the profession itself. The last idea I want to give you as we wrap up this morning is this, that as you think about work and being fruitless, not fulfilling, and at times selfish, the last challenge I want to give you guys is that you would serve your profession by redeeming it. Whatever degree that you have, whatever vocational arena that you're wanting to step into, don't just be a tool in the vocation for the city. Be a tool in the vocation to transform the vocation. For so many of us, when we think about our degrees and our careers, we're thinking about what it will do for us, which is maybe you were the primary person in mind when you chose your degree or when you chose your profession. Hopefully over the last week or so, we've been trying to open the lens up for you to see that it's not just about you, but it's about the city and the community that will be blessed by your experiences and your degree and your field. But it's not just about the city and the community, but ultimately it can also be about the profession itself. As you guys graduate, whether that's in one week or in a few months or whether that's an internship you're going to have this summer, you're going to step into workplaces and into industries and you're going to see that the world is broken. You're going to see that the wrong things motivate the industry. So the two questions I want to give you as you intern this summer, as you graduate and you step into a career, two questions, two things to think through. One is this, how is your industry broken by sin? How is sin obscured the point of your industry and the glory, the dignity to that industry or that degree. And secondly, what can you do to reverse the stem and reverse the tide of that dysfunction and of that indignity? How can you serve the profession and serve the work itself, not just the benefit of the city, but the benefit of the profession itself to redeem it and to push it back to a place as God originally intended it to be? What would that look like? What would it look like as you stepped into your internship this summer, as you stepped into a job after graduation, looking at it from those two lenses? What's broken in this industry because of sin? And as you identify those things, don't be surprised. Because the fact is, you and I live in a fallen world, and the gospel is not just bringing about a redemption of souls, but it's bringing about a redemption of all created things. And so you become a tool, even in your workplace, to be an aspect and a tool for redemption to redeem the broken profession that you're going to step into one day. How can you do that? What would it look like? Hopefully, as you guys have a chance here at Tables in just a minute to really wrestle with that, you guys are going to get to hear from table hosts who are years out in front of you wrestling with these very issues themselves, identifying the brokenness of their industry and looking to redeem it and looking to transform it. Hopefully, you guys can learn from them, seeing their kinds of experiences and what they're doing and how they're working in their profession. So let me pray for us. Lord God, as we jump in this morning, we're looking at the difficulty of work. To be honest, it's not as fun as looking at the design and the dignity of work. Work is hard. Uh, Work has fallen under a curse. It's not what you originally intended it to be, and yet you've given us an opportunity to engage in it so that our lives and our degrees and our experiences and our vocation can be a blessing, not just to our cities, but I pray to the very professions themselves and the very industries themselves that we will step into, Lord. Let us have that kind of impact, looking beyond the applause, looking beyond the compensation, and looking at serving the work. I'm looking at serving the profession to make it all that you could have intended it to be. Lord, let us have that kind of impact, Lord. And Lord, let us have that kind of vision, beginning to talk through and wrestle with, what could that be? How could that look? What are the areas of brokenness that we find in our degrees and in our professions, and how can you move us and in us to transform them to be something different, Lord? Lord, we ask for that this morning through your Son and by your Spirit, we pray. Amen.